Hey everyone, welcome back to our podcast, Human All Too Human. Today we're joined by Josh Kavichian and Sean Kavanaugh, two close friends of mine, in our second episode, the first one we aired last week, catch it on Spotify if you haven't already. And today we're going to be talking about humanity's most basic instinct, our search for meaning, and how the existential crisis arises. So welcome Josh, welcome Sean. I'm not sure if you guys have done a podcast before, but I'm assuming it's exciting, just as exciting for you as it is for me. Any thoughts? Hey, how's it going? Yeah, I've Good. never done a podcast, but uh, <laughs> I'm happy to be my, here. My, yeah, my, I mean, my, my first podcast too, right? So so today we are we, we, we got tremendously positive feedback from the first episode, right? And we wanted to take a little step back because we were talking to, you know, three religious people during the first episode, and that was great to hear their perspective. And um, just so the audience knows, and just so I know further, I'm assuming both Sean and Josh, you guys are not religious. You two don't believe in God. Do you mind talking a little bit about your beliefs or your lack of beliefs there and josh do you want to start first sure yeah um yeah no i uh this is right i i'm not really a very uh, religious person but i would say that my uh my upbringing has been based off of i want to say buddhist teachings but my mom also claims to be slightly christian um i don't you know but at the same time we don't we're not very uh hardcore practitioners so it's not like um i'm very religious in that regard because of that um so it seems like that my, my morals and ethics are kind of, uh, I don't know, they see, it seems to stem from somewhere, but I don't really use those teachings as a, as a, as a, as an, ex, not an excuse, but uh, I don't use, I, I, I don't claim that those are why I claim or why I have the, uh, the beliefs that I do. So right. So do, do you believe in a God is, is, is my question just from all of that. You seem to have a lot of diverse background, slight Buddhist, slight Christianity. So what does that say about your belief in a higher power? Just curious. Um, I'm, I'm kind of on the side that there's no, I don't believe in God. No. Okay. Interesting. Sean, how about you next? Yeah. Um, so I was raised in a mildly Christian household. I say mildly Christian, like we prayed before dinner, but never went to church, that kind of thing. Um, but even growing up, it never really made much sense to me. Never really bought into it. Um, that being said, I'm certainly not anti-religious by any means. I believe there's value to be found in the teachings, but I personally don't believe in a God to answer your question. Yeah, value in the teaching. That's an, that's an interesting perspective. Yeah, that's like that's that. that's like true. That. And then, um, you know, just so I'm sure everyone knows this already. Uh, if I didn't make it clear before, I am also not religious, did not come from a religious background. So essentially, I do not believe in a God or a higher power. And then uh, I'm joined by two others who also <clears> have the same, uh, share the same beliefs with me. So I think this is going to be an interesting conversation. So, you know, what today that I really wanted to talk about humans right we're, we're all human we have this human basic instinct to search for meaning right and then while we not, may not be religious in the sense of believing in a higher power we have this sort of piety in that sometimes we may um, think that things are passively guiding us so I, I don't know what you guys think of this but for instance it's it's pretty popular nowadays i'd say horoscopes right i'm sure we all have friends who, who sort of use this and then, you know, some less ironically than the other, but, but, but horoscopes tend to be very popular. Did you guys know what I'm, what I'm referring to? Does that sound familiar? I'm, I'm sure you guys have, have encountered that sort of thing. Like, uh, like Gemini and uh, all that stuff. Yeah. 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 All the reference to, to that sort of lunar or the lunar calendar, even it's, it's very prevalent oh, yeah, in yeah, Asian yeah. culture. Yeah. And then it now, now Josh, I'm sure you would know, you, you, you are, you are Asian, of course, uh, Sean, I don't know how much experience you have, but, but do, do a lot of your friends, um, happen to believe in horoscopes or things like that? 
I don't think many of my friends believe in horoscopes. Um, you know, it's something that's not really particularly prevalent. I think my friends fall more into either like atheism or Christianity or something along those lines. Um, yeah, and, and but I, yeah, yeah. And I think what's what's interesting is that although this superstition is not the same as religion, right? It it sometimes we have that passive ability to fall into that sort of thinking where where we say, okay, this horoscope can't be right. How can this be guiding me in any way? But then we see a good horoscope and then I can't speak for you guys, but there's that passive feeling like, oh, okay, good. I'm glad that horoscope said something good, even though we sort of sworn it off in the first place, right? And I, I think it's also interesting how um, there's a lot of people who, stringently believe in horoscopes that also don't believe in a god right and i think it's that you know correct me if i'm wrong it's that human base instinct that primal instinct just to have some sort of meaning outlined for us i mean i don't know that, that that's my experience exactly but i don't know if you've ever opened up a horoscope or have looked at a horoscope but but sometimes when i do right i mean i come into it saying i don't believe it but then i read it and if it's something good you know i'll feel a little bit better i feel like i feel like all right Horoscopes, from my experience, tend to just generalize these, I don't know what to call it, like these these things that happen in, in your daily life, right? And uh, it just, it makes it seem out to be like, oh my God, this happens to me. So, you know, these horoscopes must be true. You know, you kind of fall into that fallacy. I don't know. No, exactly. But but the thing is, we we, we sort of take that gen uh, the general oh, premise and then we, yeah. we search, we basically inscribe our own meaning to it, right? We take that generalization and then we try to search for meaning in that right well, well it's it's almost out of desperation we'll do it so passionately we'll look for anything to make sure that that it aligns with our thoughts right and i think that's something very profoundly human i don't know sean have you have you ever had that instinct before is this is this something familiar that we're talking about um i mean i would maybe give a little bit of weight to what you're saying like you know like you said with the horoscopes or even to give like a a more general example um, something like opening up and reading a nice fortune and a fortune cookie. Like, obviously that thing mm. was produced in a factory and it has no weight. I think most people don't rely on fortune cookies for their, you know, their religious beliefs or their, uh, spiritual beliefs. Um, but I believe, you know, there's sometimes it's a little bit of joy when you read that something good's going to happen to you, even when you know that it's completely false. Yeah, exactly. And I'd say conversely, if I were to open a fortune cookie that said, I'm going to face bad luck, I'd toss it away and I'd be like, that, you know, couldn't make sense, right? It's sort of, it's sort of hypocritical in that sense. And, 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 and then, you know, on, on the line of superstition, I, you know, I, I mentioned I'm not religious, I'm not superstitious, I don't believe in a God or anything, but, you know, the, the thought of walking across a graveyard, right, being bad luck, you know, I, I'd hesitate, right? It's if, if I was in front of a graveyard and then, you know, there's superstition, like don't walk on a graveyard or don't, you know, knock anything in a graveyard over. Of course, that doesn't make sense to me, but, but, you know, I'd hesitate, right? <laughs> if you told me to walk across that graveyard, I'd be like, oh, I don't, I don't, I don't really know about that. And not just because, you know, I'm scared about anything, uh, like in, in the horror wise, but, but maybe, you know, there's part of me that sort of believes in that superstition. And, and that's the, and that's the part of me, I, that's the part of every human, right? That needs to be reconciled from, from the biggest unbeliever, right? Speaking from our perspectives, well, we'd be seen as unbelievers, right? Because we don't believe in higher power to those people who believe in a higher power. We all have that basic instinct um, for meaning. And it's, it's something that True. I don't think anybody can escape. Right. And it's, and it's hard to say why we search for it, right? Why, why, why do we 
have the need to prescribe our own meaning onto things, right? And then, and then this is, you know, coming into the topic of why the existential crisis really rises. And I think it's, 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 um, it's a beautiful discussion. But first, you know, I, I want to actually start this off. Josh, do you want to first start by telling us what you think an existential crisis is? You know, nothing too advanced. I just want to hear your thoughts on first thing that comes to mind when you hear that term, existential crisis. When I hear the word existential crisis. Yeah, yep. I mean, the existential crisis to me is just the... I don't know the, the the problem that all people face when you know you you ponder the meaning of life, right? I mean that's that's really all it is there is to it. I mean that's all I got to say about that. Yeah, I mean no, no, you're absolutely not wrong, right? It's it's the fundamental conflict that we face when we when we really think about the meaning of life. Sean, is there something you wanna you wanna add on to that? I know Sean had um, some some discussions beforehand, so he, he he may have something to add to this. Yeah, I mean I think Josh was you know pretty much hit the nail on the head there. I just think that an existential crisis is us trying to answer the question of why. Um, so that could be like, why are we here? Why am I doing any of the things I'm doing? Why does life exist in the first place? And then, you know, you kind of go down that rabbit hole. It's no, yeah, it's exactly. weird to me. It's weird to me because it's, you know, it, it's one of those, um, what's what I'm looking for? It's, it's very juvenile of humans to continuously ponder that, that, you know, that question to, con, you know, ask yourself that even as, as life goes on, you know, we're constantly asking ourselves that question, right? We humans are born curious, but the question of existence is always there. Right. No. Okay. Uh, before, before I go any further, I'm, I'm curious to, to, to your point. What, what, do, what do you mean by it? Um, how it's juvenile? I, I'm just trying it's, to understand. It's what like, like, is. you know, like child, childlike wonder, you know, child, oh, childlike yes. uh, curiosity. Yeah. I, I think, I think that's a, that's a fantastic description, right? It's almost Dr. Binder, right, the guest on our prior episode, he almost he called it mystic, right? He he had a sense of mysticism. He believed that you know these patterns that we see, right, they have this beauty to them that can be defined by anything but you know our own inherent meaning. And I think um, how you described it is wonderful. And I just want to throw in a separate perspective, right? Um, so the existential crisis, it 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 can arise, right, as you said, from our conflict of why we're here, right, thinking about why we're here and the meaning for our lives, but but also you know the implications of all the choices that we have, right? So every day, every action that we make is is a result of either a choice or a lack of choice or a decision not to do anything, right? So for instance, every day, right, no matter what I decided in the past to some degree, right, this next upcoming thing, right, I'm going to, in this next situation, whatever was in the past does not affect me, right? So I have a new set of choices to make and it happened and, and this re reoccurs every single time we're presented with choices, which is every minute, right? So you can see why humans would want to have something defined for them. You can see why humans want to have something determined, right? Because that um, crisis of having to make all these choices and having to deal with the consequences every day is, is well, frankly, it's terrifying. It's it's such a large burden, right? To think that, to to uh, attribute something bad that happens to you or something good that happens to you as a result of something else or something good that happens to somebody else as a result of something else and that's not within your own power, it gives you a little comfort, right? So you know, if you say you uh, trip and fall, right? Or <laughs> bad example, not trip or fall. Let's say someone wins the lottery, right? Or someone, you know, goes out and has a nice job. They start making a lot of money, right? You might go tell yourself, oh, you know, I couldn't, I couldn't have changed that, right? Nothing, nothing I could have done could affect that, right? Now, for the case of the lottery, that might be true. But the case for someone with a high-paying job, you know, humans have that instinct, right, to tell themselves almost anything to make, to make sure they don't feel um, belittled, right? And then how that translates 
is it's 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 almost escaping a sort of responsibility in a way, right? It um, and we're we're going to talk about this a little further, but but I just wanted to throw that perspective in there to kind of figure out, you know, why do we search for meaning, right? We 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 uh, from our perspectives, none of us know the meaning of life, right? We 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 are, we don't believe in a god, but but why why that crisis arises, right? You know, just some some thoughts I had. What do you guys think? I mean, um, yeah, yeah. curious. I don't know. I don't I I don't know what else to cover with that. I mean, yeah, of course it's very very curious why we we question that. No, exactly. And I, I yeah. guess I what 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 I'm what I'm getting at is I really wanted to know any of your personal experiences. So so anything I described does that does that sound familiar to you? So for instance, you know, just the idea, right? The idea that every choice you make yeah, yeah. could possibly, you know, assuming let's say you do believe in free will, right? A determinism, you can still have an existential crisis, but that's another topic. Right? Assuming you do believe in free will, every choice that you make being yours being singularly yours it's 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 an incredible burden right but at the same time it's uh, i would say affirming in a way but but imagine that everything we done so for instance consider the person who smokes right and let's say smoking didn't have a biological you know psychological addiction to it right so the man who tells himself i will not or the man or woman who tells himself or herself i will not smoke today right and makes that decision the next day right she he or she has that exact same decision to make again and again and again each day onwards and that previous decision the day before has no effect on it so that's one decision in our lives right and imagine how many more you know infinitely expanding throughout our whole lives and it's and it's and it's really crazy to think about and it's 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 such a burden right i I mean you know sitting down and realizing no one's going to tell me what to do so i have to do something with it right that's that's the crisis there and and i mean you know yeah. Uh, no. Go ahead, Josh. Go ahead. No. I mean, I it's I I don't question it every day. I feel like so right now we're talking about it. You know, every decision matters, right? In in some sense, right? Um, but it's it's weird because you know we're talking about existentialism and how the crisis arises for everyone all the time, right? But it's um it's not always prevalent. You know, you can distract yourself by doing other things, and you're not constantly thinking like why why am I doing this today? You know, why am I here? You know, it's not, you know, you know what I mean? No, exactly. Right. And then we talked about this on the first podcast. No one can spend their whole time being in this existential angst, right? Because we live mechanically. We, we eat food, you know, Dr. Bender put it wonderfully on the last podcast. At the end of the day, we still have to go, go to the bathroom, eat food, do whatever. Right. And, and we'll distract ourselves. Right. So it's not something that, that happens every day, but, but when we do sit down, it's just, because you know we don't think about every choice we make and the time that we do if we do get to have a point of reflection and sit down and think about it it might it may dawn on a lot of people right that wow everything is is in our power in a sense sean sure. is there is there something you, you you wanted to add to that um yeah i mean i think that's overall a, you pretty much got it like the the whole idea that there's sort of this big looming idea for most people um that uh you know, every decision is on you and you're sitting here making all these decisions and every decision you make today will sort of impact the rest of your life. And you kind of don't even know about it yet. Um, and you sort of, you know, something you're probably going to touch on, like the responsibility that you have to make all these decisions and things like that. Um, but like you said, most people don't really spend myself included, by the way, um, don't really spend much time thinking about it. I have, I have things to do. I have work, every day I have, you know, I got to eat, I got to go grocery shopping. I don't really spend too much time thinking about things like that. 
Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, how terrible would that life be, right? If we every minute we were picking something up from like the grocery store and we we're like, oh shit, is this <laughs> is this the day that I die, right? That 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 would right. be certainly an awful existence. So um, I I have something shared with you guys on the screen, and I just brought it up on the on the Twitch stream so everybody can see. And um, can you guys see this right now? Yeah, yeah. So for everyone that's going to be on the podcast later, I pulled. Four, four to five quotes from our first podcast episode, and it was from three, th all three of our speak guest speakers, Dr. Binder, David Liu, and Jonathan Shu. And I wanted to first go over this first quote. So, so Dr. Binder, pretty early on in the podcast, described his belief of Sufism, and I'm going to read this out. He said, I was struck by the profound beauty in the world and the patterns of nature. A Sufi is someone who constantly seeks meaning everywhere. I constantly saw patterns, and to me that insinuated meaning, something eternal and yet instant, and it was trying to feed the impulse in our bodies. And, you know, wonderfully put, Dr. Binder was obviously a very, very well-spoken person. And I think the meaning that he conveys here is expressly, profoundly human, right? That sentence, I was struck by the profound beauty in the world and the patterns of nature. And this goes back to what we just talked about, right? How people are constantly searching for meaning, right? Constantly searching for those patterns. Anything that'll jump out to them and tell them, this is absolute, this is defined, we will, that this is comfortable, right? In a sense, we are we are uncomfortable with discomfort, which which makes sense at first, right? If you assume that discomfort is bad, right? And that's not necessarily the case. But but I want to keep breaking down the sentence. So he says, "I was struck by the profound beauty in the world and patterns of nature." A Sufi is someone who constantly seeks meaning everywhere. Now, I don't know about you guys, but I had never heard of a Sufi before, Sufism before. I'm, I'm assuming you guys haven't either. No. Uh... Are you going to define it for us? No, I, I, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know any more than how he described it to me. So, so I'm, not, I'm not trying to turn into a lecture, but, but okay. I thought it was, it was very interesting. His definition is someone who constantly seeks meaning everywhere. To me, that just sounds like a human, right? So it's almost saying a Sufi is just a human in us, right? And, and he goes further and said, I constantly saw patterns. And to me, that insinuated meaning. There's that, there's that human instinct again. To see something, define it as a pattern, and then call it meaning the causality there is is sort of inversed in a way do you understand what i'm saying sean you know you, you you're you're from the yeah. science background i'm using these words I'm, I'm i'm sure i'm sure i could be using them in a more effective way but do, do you know what i mean by the causality there having something saying that has meaning and because it has meaning or excuse me saying something has a pattern and because it has a pattern then it thus has meaning right it seems logically that's something that might not you know go down the right steps yeah i, I think that like you said, it's like um, like a Sufi is like a human is what you, you said earlier. And I, I agree with that. I think that this is almost like taking that to an extreme. So like in my opinion, coming from maybe a more scientific background, less of a um, philosophical background, um, I wouldn't believe that every pattern has meanings. I think that humans seek to find patterns, um, like you said, but I don't think that every single pattern we find has meaning. It would, it would certainly be, you know, it would make life a lot more interesting. I agree with Dr. Binder, right? I'm, um, how, how should I say it? I am definitely struck by, because imagine his point of view, right, of, of all these patterns and how much beauty they represent. He, he must feel pretty good, right, about his life and about nature, right? And it's, and it's relieving to hear someone think like that, right? While it may be incompatible with our view, it's almost like, it's sort of like the grass is greener on that one side. Yeah, right? I do also agree. I, I want to make a point. I also do agree that, uh, I can find beauty in these patterns. You know, if you go and see like 
some mountains or some trees and they have like some certain patterns they're obviously very visually appealing um I, I still don't think that i don't think that necessarily insinuates meaning but i do think humans find beauty in it and i think we should all appreciate you know the beauty that we find in that kind of thing exactly exactly right it's beautiful through our perspective now the question is did we sort of take that image that we've seen and tell ourselves this is beautiful right in order to make that sort of illogical transition to meaning right because if we're talking about you know we're you and josh are both from a scientific background right josh aerospace and you some sort of <laughs> engineer mechanical right? and biomedical mechanical, yeah mechanical yes. and biomedical <laughs> engineer right i'm sorry i should have known that good. but but from your perspectives right or from so we as you mentioned, we us humans will see the mountains have beauty, right? And we'll appreciate that beauty. Some of us will interpret that differently than others. Some of us will see that pattern and say, that is beautiful. So there, that implies meaning. And coming from a scientific background, you might say, well, that it just happened like that, right? And the decision to sort of contrive meaning, true. right? It's yep. from our perspective, right? So is it fair yes. to then derive meaning from something that was just from our perspective in <clears> the first place? Is, right. that, is that, you know, an accurate depiction of what you guys might say from the scientific background? Yeah, I'll let I mean, Josh go yeah. in a second. But uh, yeah, that, that's um, pretty much yeah. what I was saying. Um, that, yeah, it, just because it's beautiful and is a pattern uh, doesn't mean that it has meaning. Um, Josh, go ahead. No, yeah, I, I was just going to say, you know, I don't think I've ever had these kind of, uh, these kinds of like revelations, I guess. I don't know. It, it hasn't dawned upon me like that where I've been like, you know, I've seen landscapes, obviously. I'm like, wow, that's, that's pretty awesome. That's cool to look at. But I've never been like this, this beauty really defines the meaning in our universe or whatever. It's really never dawned upon me in that way. Um, just from my perspective, it's yeah. kind of just been like, oh, okay, that's cool. That's, that's a thing. It exists. Exactly. Exactly. But, but, you know, I, I, I tend to agree with you guys. It's just that sometimes when, when you're out, right. Well, I, I like to take walks a lot and just sometimes stopping and seeing it, right. It, it strikes you, right. It, it, it almost makes you awestruck with, of, of how these things come together visually. And it's, it's almost a testimony to how we've deluded ourselves in a way, right. Into, into assuming all these sorts of things. So, so let's take a step back. I want to look at the second quote, but only part of it. So if you guys remember David, uh, also excellent speaker, it comes from a Christian back, uh, background. In the first episode, he he mentioned he wanted to talk about beauty, right? He said that he believes the idea of beauty fits better in a world with God than without, because in the secular view, if everything is driven by survivability, how could it contribute to this amalgam of beauty and aesthetics? Essentially, why isn't everything gray and black? And, you know, once again, profoundly human statement to make. And I could see why someone would make that statement, right? To go out and appreciate the beauty of nature and then being like, okay, well, then this has to be defined from something, possibly a higher power, right? And, you know, from a scientific background, that might not add up once again. Once again, I am no scientist, right? And I don't want to keep touting science as like the anti-Christianity. I just want to talk about, you know, do you guys have anything to comment about why isn't everything gray and black? Because I don't come from a scientific background, so I don't really know what to say against that but but i'm assuming right the universe however it was created made all all the colors and you know how the light reflected into our eye you know that's the color that we see and we chose to assume that was beautiful right so so it's not necessarily that everything being gray and black would 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 promote the survivability he was talking about is, is what i'm saying making sense or am i just you know rambling you know i'm gonna be honest you're kind of going off <laughs> Sean, please, I mean, I, please I can us. respond to that even if Josh can't. Um, <laughs> I, I think I, I definitely I like the quote, even as a like a non-Christian. Um, 
I think, you know, obviously I'm not going to go into the point that you said, like, the oh, it's the different wavelengths of light. Obviously, that's true. Um, but I think what he's trying to get at with the quote is more um, like without a, a, a God, then what is the point of it being beautiful? Um, and why, like, why is anything beautiful if, if there's no God or anything like that? Um, exactly. I guess my interpretation of that, or, you know, if I were to rewrite the quote, you know, not to sound anti-Christian or anything, I would almost want to replace the word God with like humans because it, it's not God that is, you know, making us see all this beauty, at least in my personal view. Um, it's humans that are, you know, almost, we, we've evolved to really see these patterns and appreciate these patterns and appreciate the colors in, in flowers and trees and everything we see. Um, so I think if you if you take out the word God and replace it with humans in that sentence, I think that pretty accurately reflects sort of my thoughts on it. Yeah, it's a very humanist perspective, mm -hmm. and, and I and I very much respect that, and and I agree, Josh. I'm sorry. Do you have anything to add, Josh? I I think that mm, I don't know. It's it, it kind of goes back to trying to find meaning in in everything in the world, right? And obviously, with you know, with Sean and I here, we 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 as we don't you know we obviously we don't believe in a higher power so our perspective says that you know beauty is something that we've assigned as man and you know this is kind of just me backing up sean's point here yeah exactly and and i and i 100 percent agree with you it's just these two quotes from dr bender and david they're so profoundly human once again i hate you know to repeatedly use that phrase but that's essentially what it is these two people are looking at the world seeing all this beauty and they're almost so scared we're not scared, right? They're they're in a way, they're almost unable to make the connection that it's just solely our perspective, right? It's so beautiful to them that it almost transcends us as humans, right? And establishes itself as a universal. This is beauty, right? When 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 you know when we think about it from a non-religious perspective, we have we we may take the opposite view, right? But we don't we don't undermine the beauty, right? We say this is so beautiful, yeah. and look, we, this is how we see it. We've made it like this, and therefore this is the beauty, right? So it's two very different perspectives that come to almost the same conclusion, and and then we'll see this everywhere, right? We'll see we'll see this sort of conflict everywhere. But it was it was very interesting hearing those two talk about it, and I want to get to. Um, the third part of his quote. Uh, these are these are all taken, you know, from all different parts in the in the podcast. One of the things that David said was the idea that value is relative. That's the one to resist. And this is something we talked about in the first podcast. This is something we talked about. You know, we we hinted on now, right? And it it veers a little bit off topic, but in in the in the same sense, it's also a, a germane, right? The idea that value is relative. So if we say that all these patterns in the world, right? If we say that there is no God and all the pattern and beauty in the world is from our perspective, right? They're not universally defined. Well, what does that say about values? And David also followed that with Bertrand Russell, so a famous um, atheist he referred to, uh, referred to him as, found it really hard to believe that the only thing to say against murder is that he happened to not like it. Personal preference can't be the final arbiter of good and evil. The work of the law is written in our hearts, right? And I don't want to sound like I'm being, you know, I'm straying off topic because in a way this is very on topic. When he says the work of the law is written in our hearts, he's he's doing the same thing that humans do when they search for meaning, right? If something is prescribed in the universe, Right? If the universe dictates something, thou shalt not XXX, there's no reason to find meaning behind it, right? Because the universe thus gave it the meaning. And so I think this is very tangential to what we're talking about because we're coming from this idea of, oh, we see beauty in the world, therefore we see meaning to, 
we see beauty in the world and thus we arrive to this conclusion that values cannot be relative, right? There must be some universal code. Is, is what I'm saying making sense right now? I, I'm, I don't want to be long-winded or anything. Oh, yeah, I, I get you. Yeah, yeah and then... Sense, yeah. yeah, exactly. And then backing up a bit, right? Personal preference can't be the final arbiter of good and evil. And this is how the existential crisis or one of the ways the existential crisis arises, right? Because we talked about the implications of choice. We talked about how us as humans have the ability, right, to 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 act independently or not independently if you're a determinist, right? But that is a separate conversation itself. And so if that implies, and I don't want to say that value is is relative, all right, because it's strictly relative, because that implies that there's almost no difference between good and bad, right? And then good and bad are also subjective. What I guess the point I'm trying to make is what is actually good and bad is something we'll never know, right? So it very well may be that murder is bad and we have defined it bad. That may be something we got right, but as a universal code or something that is fundamentally good and bad, we'll never know. Does that, does that, does that connection sort of make sense to you? So I can see what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. So, so saying personal preference can't be the final arbiter of good and evil. And and to my question would be, you know, humans are the final arbiters of it all, right? Of good and evil. So so humans have currently decided what is good and what is evil, right? It's basically the majority of people, right? The majority of people don't want to be murdered, right? And they've defined it as evil. That doesn't necessarily mean it's evil, right? I'm, I'm not saying it's not evil, right? Obviously, I do not think murder is good. And then we can talk about various reasons why later. But but that that's that that's almost an, a thought that springs from our initial quote, from Dr. Binder's initial quote, I was struck by the profound beauty. And we get to this idea that the uh, that value is relative, that's the one to resist. So we see the sort of jumps that people can make from here to there. And, and then this is how things like the existential crisis arises. Because if you go, right, and... You might, we talked about this, you're not constantly dreading your existential angst, right? But when that does hit and these questions do arise, it's something that you have to reconcile, right? I mean, certainly I've, I've gone through times where I just sat there and, and, I've, and I've wondered, you know, I've wondered what it's really all about. Because let's take it a step further. We, see, we say that we see all this beauty and then therefore we see meaning, not from our perspective, from these, these people's perspective. And then what about if we see something extremely bad? right? For instance, let's take, we see a genocide that happens anywhere, right? I'm not thinking about anyone in particular. And then we mm -hmm. struggle as humans to find meaning in that. That's, this is where that dissonance comes from, right? Because we spent all this time trying to find meaning in the good things, in the beauty, right? And then something very bad happens, very bad in our opinion, right? And then we, we have to sit there and try to dis, dis, decide what, what meaning is there to it. And that's why I think a lot of people make the jump or the leap of faith to religion, right? Because from a religious perspective, most things happen or all things happen for a reason because the, uh, a god or the gods, whatever you believe in, deemed it so, right? So to see, you know, a child die, right? To see something die, to see any semblance of innocence perish or die in a seemingly meaningless way, that makes us very uncomfortable. So then we go out and we prescribe <clears throat> meaning to it. Does, does that make sense? Because, you know, we go on and we turn on the news and we see people die. And is your first reaction, to, isn't your first reaction to be like, why did that happen? Right? You get a little mad and you ask yourself, why did that happen? That's almost always the first reaction. And uh, <laughs> I've been talking for a while, but, but Josh and Sean, please jump in. It's, it's hard. I mean, this, this, is, this is literally the, the bulk of the existential crisis, right? Like, why does this happen? Why does anything happen, right? So I, I can't say that I have a sound answer to that. You know what I mean? 
it's yeah that's the most very, uncomfortable part yeah it's very uncomfortable it's and the thing is i mean personally i don't think about it all that often you know obviously i don't do all this reading i don't i don't ponder existence all too often and so it's a, it's a very hard question to answer, at least from my perspective. But I, yeah. I, I can see where you're coming from. I, I, I have personal experience. Like my, I think my grandfather was attacked um, in, the, in Philadelphia re- not too recently, you know, a couple, like a year ago or so. And, you know, it's just like, wow, that sucks. Like, why, why, why does that happen? You know, and the, the question is it's exactly. really real and it's super, super hard to answer. No, okay. So, sorry, before I let you jump in, Sean, I want to go off of what Josh just said. Uh, I didn't know that. So, you know, apologies. I didn't, I didn't realize it happened to your grandfather. It's something that shouldn't happen. But, you know, when we're talking about stuff like that, right? And, and then we mentioned this. No one is sitting there 24-7 having this angst. But these moments do occur, right? And for you, in that moment, say you, a relative was attacked for no reason, right? He might have just been yeah. walking across the street and he was attacked. And then that's what triggers this, this, uh, this struggle, right? This, you're, you're asking yourself, why did that happen? To you, he's innocent. And I'm sure, I'm sure he's a nice guy, right? I'm sure objectively we'd all see him as a nice person. So why would he be attacked? And then I guess the first thing in your head, you know, a lot of things go through your head at that moment, right? Like, why did this happen? Oh, the yeah. guy who did, the guy or girl who did it was a piece of shit, yeah. right? He was a, he was yeah, a racist or whatever. I very much blame that person. Yeah, I very much blame the person and rather mm-hmm. than rather than looking for an actual, you know, higher meaning to it. Right, you know, right. And, and then, is- you know, you blame the person. And and then that's that's a good recourse, right? You're not ascribing that anything to a higher a higher meaning right. or anything. But yeah. then you have to ask yourself, do do you ever ask yourself afterwards, like why did that person do it, right? Or, or why do people like that exist? I guess that's another question to that. So so you you basically subvert one question of meaning for another question of meaning. You're constantly going yeah. down this path, asking for some sort of reasoning to make it make sense in a little bit, because it's it's hard. It's very uncomfortable for me, and I'm definitely sure more so for you. The idea that you, that people would attack your grandfather for no reason, and even worse, that they would attack him for a reason that doesn't make sense to us. If I'm if yeah. I'm you know addressing your thoughts correctly. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I guess just to sort of address what you've been saying for the past little bit, um, you know, people is that, is that a really, cue for me to stop talking so much? <laughs> it, it may be a cue to you know allow a little more input from Josh and I. But anyway, um, you sort of to go back to the quote. Um, from Tell David Liu from a little bit ago. Um, I, I would fundamentally disagree with the part where he says personal preference can't be the final arbiter of good and evil. I don't know if he's saying that from a perspective of denial, you know, saying, oh, personal preference can't be the final arbiter of good and evil, um, or just from the Christian point of view that, you know, he believes that the, you know, personal preference, the, the human. Um, decisions can't be can't decide what's good and what's evil it has to come from some higher power because that's sort of too much to bear for the humans but i i personally believe that you know the collective human decision of of everyone you know not everyone everyone but the majority of people has decided what's good and evil and you know to go back to my point of not being anti-religious i think a lot of that can be credited to texts like the bible or other religious texts that generally uh, serve to guide our morals, um, or at least the morals of those who choose to follow them of, hey, uh, you know, helping feed poor people is good, murder is bad, you know, pretty, pretty straightforward things. Um, yeah, I guess that would be my perspective uh, on that quote. It's, I don't know, I feel like it's very interesting that you say choose to follow because, you know, it, it's very, it contrasts with what David's saying is, you know, people can't be the final arbiter. I just found that interesting. Right. Yeah, I, I, 
I don't mean to say, obviously, you know, I, I did listen to the last podcast. David's very, obviously very intelligent, very well-spoken, yeah. but I would disagree with that, that particular part of it. And I, I think that might just be due to our difference in religious beliefs. Sean, you've said so much intelligent stuff in the last 30 seconds that I want to touch on. You you definitely did not give yourself credit. You know, for everybody who's listening out there on the Spotify podcast and the Twitch stream, right? If you remember the last podcast, we had a famous YouTuber on, um, Dr. Binder, very well spoken. And then I asked to bring Sean and Josh on and we were all joking like, oh, this is the downgrade <laughs> that, that we're going to do now, right? You guys are going to, you're going to bring us two on. But but I'd say, Sean, you made a lot of really great points. So So, you know, one of the things that I wanted to touch on. You said, right, so the majority of people have decided that this is good or bad, right? And then most of that can be prescribed to the Bible, right? So let's let's take a step back. That is what a lot of, um, you know, existentialism, a lot of that non-religious existentialism goes back to that point, right? Yes, the Bible thus had prescribed a lot of this good and evil to everybody, but we don't know if that's good or evil. Back to our original points, there are, there are, are, definitely things that are good and there are definitely things that, ev- that are evil, but we will not know what those universal um, placements are, right? If, if we assume that good is in this bucket over here, evil is in this bucket over here, we can put them wherever we want. We'll never know where they actually belong, right? And then so I guess what the Bible did was explicitly define them, right? And, to, and for people, going back to our original topic, and for people that's comfortable to know that certain things are off limits and certain things are on uh, whatever the opposite of off limit is right there, there are certain things are kosher right and and to your and that's such an intelligent point that you made right and whether that's good or bad that's another question right that's another question we constantly have to ask ourselves do we break out of the boundaries of what has what has been defined for us and then we you know i talked about this in the first podcast create our own values so so extremely good point sean i'm, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that and you as well josh so we're going to get to the last quote on our screen it's from uh my good friend, Jonathan Shu. So he was talking about the rise of Jesus. If Jesus didn't rise, we are the greatest fool. It is Jesus's resurrection that we Christians anchor ourselves on, right? And, and so once again, gets back to our point that people are always searching for meaning, right? Or, or, or anchoring, you know, that, that word that he used is a perfect word, tying themselves to something so that they may reference something in the future, right? So they go and say, Jesus's resurrection is thus what creates meaning for me. And then they'll do anything, right, in between. So they come to that conclusion and they'll do anything in between to to to, to make themselves believe, right? Is 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 my understanding of it. So so and then my uh, excuse me, <laughs> voice cracked, right? That one might look at that and be like, okay, so they're what what they're doing is they're fervently believing that Jesus was resurrected and I don't you know, from comes as someone as someone coming from a scientific background, I'm not saying any of us might say, well, that doesn't make any sense, right? And then we really have to ask ourselves, well, what are we anchoring ourselves on then, right? And then that's how that existential crisis arises. So, so it's a, it's a very good point that Jonathan made. I don't know if you guys had anything to add to it. This is kind of an aside, uh, but still, I don't know how relevant this is, but is it, it sounds to me like choosing God and choosing religion is you know, you say comfortable, it's, it's their solution to the existential crisis. Is that, is that safe to say or no? Yeah. Yeah. Because that, that's, that's extremely safe to say, right? It's, it's their discomfort with being uncomfortable as we've put it. And that extreme yeah. anxiety that have caused them to take a leap of faith, just as we as non um, believers in God, right. Also deal with that same crisis, right. We, we deal with it in different ways. So, so, 
I'm not saying, and they're not any, you can't fault them, right? I'm not going to fault right, them for course, it sure, because yeah. it's extremely uncomfortable, right? And to, and it's not like it's easier for them. We said the word easier. It's not really easier for them in a way because once they make that leap, if you're an intelligent person, you have to struggle with the inconsistencies every day, right? You, I'm sure Jonathan knows that when he says, Jesus' resurrection is what we anchor ourselves on. He's from a background of science as well. He knows the implications of that, and he has to deal with that struggle every day. They have to see you know, all the Christian definition of bad going on in the world, and they have to deal with that themselves, right? So, so it's not easier in a sense. They just choose to deal with it differently. But I think what unifies all of that is we're all just trying to really search for that meaning as humans. And so the second part of his quote he goes and he says, if there is no force outside of humans, and we were talking about absurdity at that time, then murder may be logical. The absurdist struggle to me points outside of humanity. So once again, you know, we talked about absurdity in the last podcast as the tension between the human's inability to know everything and why they're there and being in the universe, right? And he says, you know, to him, that absurdist struggle points outside of humanity, once again, to a higher power. So once again, it's how we're looking at this dissonance and how we're reconciling it that that leads others to prescribe it to a higher power once again and and i think it's fascinating and i think once again profoundly human sure yeah. yeah i would agree with that um i guess just for my perspective on sort of um john's quote uh, i think fundamentally john is trying to assign meaning right as humans do um you know and and from his christian point of view so the meaning of, you know, things like murder is, you know, it, it decides who's good and who's bad. Um, and there's ultimately some reason that someone gets murdered or something like that. I'm just using murder as the example, because that's something that fundamentally most of us agree is bad. Um, but there are some people who think murder is good, or at least justifiable um, for whatever means they seek to achieve. You know, genocides do and have happened and continue to happen. Um, but Ultimately, like 99% of our society decided that we don't want to get murdered. So we set up laws and a judicial system and everything to try to prevent murders from happening and seek justice for when it does happen. But when someone gets murdered or, you know, again, just using that as an example, uh, I don't believe there's any further meaning behind it. You know, it doesn't make it any less awful for those of us who um, I say those of us, it's never happened to me. But if you if someone <laughs> close to you is murdered, obviously, that's a horrible thing. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't be upset about it or that we shouldn't care about people getting murdered or genocides. These are obviously important issues to us as humans, but fundamentally the broader universe doesn't care who gets murdered, what genocides go on. It, uh, from my perspective, there's no meaning behind any of it. Oh, I'm glad you, I'm glad you mentioned that. You said the general universe doesn't care, right? It's indifferent and how people deal with that indifference is, is, is varying. Right. And then, You've mentioned it very, very well. We've decided we don't like murder, right? And then most people agree. And the thing is, if we decide that, if we take that same course of action with everything, then what is authentic in our lives, right? So we will go and we'll say, yes, I agree. Murder is wrong. And then we'll keep living. And how many thing of other things are we doing that with as well? So that's part of the existential crisis. If, in fact, there is no meaning to this earth that's inherently prescribed, to us because there's no higher power than is not what is best for us to live authentically. That's a point that they like to make, right? And then to, to, to understand how, what and how 
a person can live authentically? That's the greatest question. And that can give rise to the existential crisis. Just sitting, sitting there, sitting, like, imagine sitting in your bed thinking, oh my God, what, what is most authentic to me? Is everything I'm doing a decision of my own or is everything I'm doing just me following, right? What everybody else is doing. And that's not, and, and then you're, you're, you're trapped, right? Because if you go and then say, okay, what society's doing, you know, I don't want to be influenced from society. I'll do everything the opposite of society. You're taking a similar stance, right? You're not deciding anything for yourself. You're just going the blind opposite direction. So not only is following everything that's told to you, um, maybe it, it might not be the most authentic movement. Going against that is also, there's an argument to be made that that's not authentic either. So you, you're, you're trapped. You're really trapped in this awful center, right? And I don't want to make it sound like life is awful, but it's, it's you know, it's when you do think about this crisis, right? In those, you know, sparse times of our lives, it's it's certainly a burden, right? And I think John and and you both um, put it put it very well. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, Josh. Anything to add? No, I, I don't even remember speaking, so... No cutting off here. <laughs> okay, but is there, you know, did you want to throw your two cents in anywhere? What did you think about what uh, John is saying? <clears throat> um, I don't know. It's very, I tend to have no particular perspective on on things. You know, when things happen, it's kind of just like, uh, am I allowed to swear? Yeah, you are. Yeah, you are. All right. All right. Well, when things happen, it's kind of like, well, shit, that sucks, right? I'm like, I'm kind of just like, well, it happened, and I, I don't think anything more of it. You know, make might make me sound like a caveman or something, but I really this this whole existential crisis thing. I, I I tend not to think about it too much, and I tend not to, you know, even though I'm here on this podcast, I really don't think about it as often as, you know, maybe I would as I would like to, or maybe as often as uh, you you tend to as well. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but I guess. That's interesting because what do you think about this indifference then? What do you think your indifference is really being driven from? You re you very much remind me of a character from a book, how you're describing it. But I told myself I would not reference any book, so we're not going to talk about that. But but wh I, what do you think this indifference comes from? That's a very tough question because I tell myself all the time that I'm very indifferent to things. You know, obviously, you know, I'm all aboard the boat. Murder is bad. Genocide's bad. But I'm very aboard the I don't care uh, train here. Um I don't, you know, obviously, you know, I don't, it's, it, I hope I'm not coming off as like an asshole or anything, but it, it's just the way I live. And to me that I achieve, I feel like I'm living my own authentic life, right. By not caring about anything and whether, whether or not there is meaning, it's not, I don't need a, a higher power to tell me. And I feel like that is my most human definition of life. That's, that's, that's very beautiful in one way. And that must be somewhat difficult in the other because i'm thinking about you know telling yourself that okay like I, everyone wants to believe that they're a good person and then murder and genocide is, you believe they're wrong right as as most of us do and at the same time being indifferent at some point that must conflict or, or am, I, am yeah. I not understanding that correctly no there are definitely there are definitely conflicts you know there's there's no there's no perfect way of living i feel like i feel like no one there's no one perfect individual who holds I don't know. Maybe it's just just me. Maybe I'm just a hypocrite. But yeah, everyone else is perfect. Very hard, you, Josh. Yeah. You, you haven't figured yeah. out this perfect thing. Me and Sean are <laughs> we're, we're out here no, the supreme exactly. human beings. Exactly. You know, screw you guys. But it's just it's it's very hard because I I agree there are conflicts in in my beliefs or not. I don't know if it's my beliefs, but it's just my my current way of living. You know. Yeah. And that's okay. Someone commented and I want to direct your attention to the comments. Um, if you don't have it up, I'll read it. Uh, Colerton said, "I find stoicism." 
to be helping in life, to live a virtuous life in accordance with nature. Don't dwell on things that are outside of your control. You know, and I want to talk about this because a lot of existentialists actually took problem with Stoics, right? If it read, if we, you know, I want to circle back to the point where it says, don't dwell on things that are outside of your control, right? And a lot of existentialists would say, yes, we have choices, right? We have, I talked about how the existential crisis could arise from choices, but life in a way, there's a lot of existentialists were fatalists in the way that they believe that, you know, the, the end goal was determined in a sense, right? And in between, you had some flexibility of choices. And some Stoics, right, when they say don't dwell on things that are outside of your control, to some existentialists, that's effectively saying don't live life as, as it is, right? And, you know, they're criticized for, some Stoics are criticized for their, their how basically keeping a lid on your emotions, right? What they're saying, don't dwell on things that are outside of your control, essentially curbing your emotions and then being a Stoic, Right. And and for a lot of people that that might not be conducive to living authentically. Right. Because we'll, we'll touch upon it. I'm going to have um, more quotes written on further. But, you know, part of living life is in many people's view, mine as well. Sort of this think about it as a roller coaster. Right. Right. The ups and downs, the good, the bad, the suffering and the joys. Right. All of it is is in fact intertwined but at the same time you know we we owe it as much to our sufferings as we do to our joy right so and from the stoic point of view to sort of limit our sufferings in that way are we not also limiting our joys and then Coleridge goes on the stoics elaborated a detailed taxonomy of virtues right wisdom ju uh, justice courage and moderation so i would say a lot of um, existentialists and stoicists uh, stoics they shared the view of amor fati right a love of a love of fate a love of life but in in, in other ways they're very conflicted um but i'm 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 very glad you made that uh, comment Coleridge a, a, a lot of people find um, appreciation in in the Stoics' point of view and their books. Um, I I happen to have meditations on my shelf right now. I'm I'm, uh, I'm a little bit through it. I hope to finish it soon. But but um, yeah, great great comment. I'm sorry, uh, Sean and Josh. Anything to add? Or or Sean in particular, because because me and Josh just finished talking. Yeah. Um. I mean, I would just I guess like to point out that I really uh sort of connect with the particular part. Don't dwell on things that are outside of your control. Um, you know we've been talking about all these these grand you know grand crimes murder and genocide and all that and there's all these sort of like bad things that happen in the world but fundamentally i can't really do much about most things like there's you know there's genocides all over the place and whatnot um but there is there anything i can really do about it maybe but not really also um so i think it's definitely important to do what you can and not stress over the things that you have no control over that that's a great point because i met uh, we actually talked about this before right and you know don't dwell on things that are outside of your control and i me and sean were and josh we were talking privately about how this might imply um a dodging of responsibility in a way not a dodging responsibility it's just having that mindset is 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 very compatible with living our lives right because no one can be like oh you know we can all there's always something for us to drop everything that we're doing and rush to help with right and we don't do that all the time so are we not implicitly accepting some burden of responsibility and guilt right so so the the idea of don't dwelling on things that are outside of your control that resonates with me but at the same time it makes me uncomfortable right 
it, and and then so that's that's the conflict that I have with Stoicism and that, that a lot of existentialists do. And it's 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 obviously a great conversation to have because it's great telling ourselves right that we can't do anything about those people being murdered over there. And mechanically, like we can't, I can't save you know somebody in Africa being murdered, right? I'm sure you guys would agree. But there are there are hundreds and thousands of other things that I could be doing, right? Um, and f- to saving other people's lives or or you know all the choices that we make or don't make. And and it's um it's 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 harrowing in a way, but 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 let's move on. <laughs> it was a very good comment, Colerton. I'm, I'm sure he'll be uh, chiming in later on on the Twitch stream, but but I'm glad to uh, have read that comment. So we're, we're going to move on. I'm going to turn to the next slide. And uh, we have our resident. So one of our guests is Josh Kavici, a good friend of mine, and he he's known in our group for having the best voice. So Josh, if you could go and you could read, this. if you could read both of these quotes, uh, one after the another, um, pause after the first one and we'll discuss, but if you want to just read it in your best announcer voice. I can't believe this. All right. All right. The first quote, these iridescent stars spread across the expanse of the sky. How beguiling they must be to urge us to guide our lofty gaze upwards and shout, I am human. That delusion, the silent hope to shut one's eyes and mistake the echoes that return as from something higher, as tremors from beyond our good and evil, what shame we must feel for life. Now, before you get on the second quote, what do you guys think of that one? Uh, any, what any does thoughts beguiling there? mean? Charming. Okay, thanks. Seductive. Is it like first thoughts? I don't want any, like, you know, nothing detailed. It's just first thoughts hearing that. What, what, what do you think? What do you think the author's getting at? I don't know. It's interesting how they make it like these iridescent stars spread across. It's like, it seems like they're almost having this revelation, but then at the end, they come in. They're just like, "What shame we must feel." You know, I don't. I, I really don't. It I stops don't pretty abruptly, it seems, right? It yeah, stops. It stops it, pretty it, abruptly. It's very. Yeah. Well, that's yeah, why I've hit having it, that delusion. Not having read it ahead of time, um, having this sprung on me, um, it, it's kind of tough to wrap my head around exactly what they're they're getting at. You know, initially. is there any emotion that pops out at you, Sean, right away though? Uh, I mean, not to, not to say what we've been saying this whole time, but like existential crisis. Exactly. Like they're, they're looking up at the stars and saying, look, look how small I am compared to all of this. And I think, you know, anyone who's ever been out and looked at the night sky like that has felt small in that way. Um, and to, to almost pretend that there's some, some higher force saying that we're good and evil. I don't know. Uh, again, I, I can't fully wrap my head around it, but I think that's what they're getting at. Exactly. And there's that really famous Calvin and Hobbes um, comic where Calvin goes up with Hobbes. He looks at the sky and he says, I bet if everyone looked at the stars, we'd have a lot less troubles. And it's, and it's really that ineffable, in, excuse me, ineffable sort of unity that a lot of humans feel with nature. And then it, it, we almost, you know, the author writes, it, it urges us to gaze upwards and shout, I am human, right? Almost asking for validation. So, so, but, you know, to move on to the second mm. quote, Josh, you want to read that Very second quote for us? Sure. To not take life too seriously, but also revel in its in- intensities. Is this not the human condition? The thin rope that separates levity from despair and goads us into that inevitable and sudden fall that marks the very principle on which we per- perennially walk. Should we be hesitant to embrace its terrifying cycle? Are these not the tendrils of freedom that bind us to the eternal choices, as fickle as they are indifferent? Very good. I just want to correct, not principal precipice. Oh, precipice. Where's <laughs> that? No, it's, oh. It's perfectly okay. What do you guys think about this? Anything that pops out at you? I hmm. think what they're getting at, tell me if I'm interpreting this quote in, in a way that makes any sense. Um, what they're getting at is that we're all out here, you know, 
kind of just doing our thing and we're we have our ups and we have our downs and the choices that we make affect uh, you know our life is very sensitive to the choices that we make right like say i i go out for a walk every day and one day i decide to go out five minutes later than usual and on that day i get hit by a truck right kind of morbid but in that sense it's like you know life if i had gone for my walk at my normal time on that day i would have been alive and now i'm dead and that's a huge difference obviously um you know it's such a huge uh dependency on the choice that I've made. And yet it's indifferent in that, you know, there one, the universe doesn't care that I got hit by a truck. And two, it, there's nothing I could have done to know what would have come of the choice that I made to leave for, for my walk five minutes later. Exactly. No, yeah. Now, what do you wow. guys think about the, the term tendrils of freedom? What does that, what does that really say to you when you hear that? Josh, I'm going to have to give it to you because Sean just spoke. Tendrils. The tendrils of freedom. It sounds kind of binding almost for some reason. It sounds like freedom is almost uh, this this creepy thing. Right. right. I don't, right. I don't Tendr- know. This tendrils could- aren't positive. Right? You hear the word tendrils and you're like, interesting, because you see the word freedom, right? And and then we associate freedom with good and tendrils, like these tentacles that seek to you know, yeah, hold you to like the a, ground. Like a bot- it's like a, like a plant thing, right? Plant it's almost, almost putting the onus of, of responsibility of your freedom on, it's- on you. That's to, what I'm reading from it. Yeah. Yeah, that's oh that's that's true. To, I don't know. For, to take a, a more troglodyte perspective on this, it literally just sounds like this guy's having an, an existential crisis here. It literally uh, yeah, that would be the common theme. That, yeah, that would be that yeah. would be the common theme among our podcast. But I just want to talk about uh, one one more one more line in this. The the thin rope that separates levity from despair. And and Sean kind of talked a little bit about this, but but you know, I just want to break that line down further. What do you what do you think exactly about that? Wait, what? Sorry, say again. Which one? That line, the thin rope that separates levity from despair. What, what do you, you guys, okay, to define levity for all my audience, <laughs> right? Levity just means like, you know, you're, you're, you're approaching things with uh, humor when it's not supposed to be, right? You're a serious situation with humor. You're, you're being pretty, you know, blithe about things. Hmm. Would that be referring to sort of the, um, the tendency of some people to, uh, you know, sit there and ponder about things like this all day, like you, Chris, and then other people like Josh and I to not, um, not worry about these things. So you could say that Josh and I are experiencing levity and that we are sort of more carefree and we are, you know, we don't worry too much about things like that. Whereas you, not that you necessarily despair about things like that, but you're more likely to maybe have an existential crisis because you actually think about these kinds of things on a regular basis. <laughs> okay, first I want to dispel with the impression that I am constantly sitting here in existential dread. Okay, maybe more so than yeah, the normal person. It sounds but... like it though. <laughs> more so yeah. than Josh and I though is what I'm getting. Probably, <laughs> yeah. right? It like, sounds like I don't this, think that's yeah. unreasonable. But it's a very, a... this thin rope, quote unquote, right? It sounds like it's on the verge of breaking from any sort of uh, turn in our emotions to face this existential existential crisis here is what i'm getting at yeah the first part to take life not too seriously but also revel in its intensities i think that really goes along with the thin rope right as in you know that's a conflict in itself not taking life seriously but also reveling in its intensities in a serious way right so that thin rope almost marks that that very 
almost transparent line, right? That we don't know how to step across that it's sudden, right? That sudden but inevitable fall. Yeah. Right? Sudden, so that yeah, we may sudden. we may descend from levity to despair at any moment. So going back to I'm, and I'm glad someone mentioned the Stoics. Going back to the Stoic view that don't dwell on things that are outside of your control. The existentialists would say, well, for a human, these feelings are on such a spectrum, and it's and you know one end of the spectrum touches the other end, and they may be opposites, but they're they're closely entwined, right? So that idea that you can trans uh, you can descend from levity to despair that fast. That's part of living out the human condition. And so to say that to limit yourself and to limit and put a control on this, that's anti-human, if, if that makes sense. But yes, but, uh, yes so, yeah, <laughs> definitely. And then, uh, so there's this, is, I've obviously blacked some parts of the quotes out, right? So you let's did? go to the... Do, do I, you, I can't <laughs> do, see that, no. Wait, you guys can't see how I shaded it. I'm kidding, out. we're kidding, oh, okay. we're kidding. Oh my God. <laughs> you, you guys are Wait. jokesters. Jokesters. I can't believe this. Uh, okay. Oh. Oh God. Okay, I think I just accidentally turned off the Twitch stream. I, uh, it, it faded to black. Yeah. Oh no, it's no, black. we fixed it, we fixed it, we fixed it. <laughs> Sorry about that, viewers. Sorry about well. the viewers. We're back, we're back, viewers. We're back. We're back. I meant to scroll. And I was trying to scroll on the... But anyways, so this is the full quote, okay, Josh? And with your announcer voice, Josh, I'd like you to start reading these quotes. And really, so we, we talked about how those first quotes, when we blocked out the second half, they were, we, we identified that they were existentialist, but at the same time, there was almost a sort of like dissonance because they were, they were one, crushed by this existential crisis, praising life, but at the same time, almost, you know, almost cursing life. So now we have the full quote and we're going to get the full perspective and we're going to get our resident announcer, Josh, to read these quotes. What am, I, am I reading from the, from the beginning here? Please read yeah, the first quote. Read the first quote all the way through. These iridescent stars spread across the expanse of the sky. How beguiling they must be to urge us to guide our lofty gaze upwards and shout, I am human. That delusion, the silent hope to shut one's eyes and mistake the echoes that return as something higher. As tremors from beyond are good and evil, what shame we must feel for life. The, sh the selfish futility, futility that so soon dawns is not as crushing as it is liberating. It's not, is it, it not profoundly human? That yearning to familiarize what is known and the desire for incomprehensible validation met with the gentle indifference of those glimmers in the abyss. That caress of silence, is it not this that instead affirms our existence? Can we not think that Atlas and his eternal burden are lifted slightly when the stars are pulled under to his level so that so as to be blinded by their brilliance? And yet, is this not the very answer that we look away from? These very stars that elicit our desire for one more burdened night undermine but are over us so that we may be higher still. And then I'll please read the second quote while you're at it. All right. To not take life too seriously, but to also revel in its intensities. Is this not the human condition? The thin rope that separates levity from despair and goads us into that inevitable and sudden fall that marks the very precipice on which we perennially walk. Should we be hesitant to embrace its terrifying cycle? Are these not the tendrils of freedom that bind us to eternal choices, as fickle as they are indifferent? And is the suffering that they invariably lead us to not evil? Although to call this a curse would be, as, would be the greatest negation, for our most divine regicide has given back to us what, what was rightful and deserved, our humanity. Are these tendrils not as hellish as they seem? Okay, so now that we have the two full quotes, let's start with quote number one. What do you guys think now? Sean? Yeah, you got to give my small brain to... Okay, uh, Sean, you go first. Sean. All right, I, I mean, I do want to point out the, 
the first sentence after the blackout part, the where it says the selfish futility that soon dawns, is it not as crushing as it is liberating? Is it not profoundly human? I really sort of identify with that. I really like that, you know, um, speaking from the perspective of someone who doesn't believe in an ultimate meaning of the universe or in, in an ultimate um, dictation and what, what should be happening from some higher power. Um, I do find that liberating. I think some people struggle with that, you know, the sense that nothing we do matters, right? Um, but I believe that it's more liberating and that anything I do, it's not inconsequential, right? It has very real impacts, very tangible impacts on the people around me and on myself and on, you know, the world around me. Um, but ultimately the fact that none of it really matters and that, you know, I'm not going to be ultimately judged for it um, or anything a lot like that. Uh, I believe that that is liberating. And I think that that is definitely a part of the human existence. And, and what do you think about this Atlas part? When, when the author Honestly, talks about Atlas? I don't know what that means. Atlas, so, I could not extract any meaning from that. Yeah. So, <laughs> so do you, do you know the, 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 the myth of Atlas? Yeah, I know Atlas, but yeah. Right, I didn't so really we, know what they were getting right, at. So, so you listened to the first podcast. So and you, That's yeah. so true. <laughs> and, and then we talked about Sisyphus as an absurd hero, right? And we know Atlas is the titan that is forever bound to hold the earth, the sky up, right? And I think what the author is getting at, right, is that he has this eternal burden. Imagine how difficult it is to hold the, the literal sky up, right? Yeah. But he, he, the, the author is suggesting, is this not lifted slightly? Because he gets to be closer to these stars, right? These stars that we always appreciate and we are almost jealous of, right? So far away. And now that Atlas has brought them to, to, his, to a human level, right? Or in, in the mythology's case, the Titan's level. It's almost liberating even more to be on that same level. I think is the point trying to be made here. Josh, please add something if, if, you, if is, you have anything. Is this is this speaker trying to say that, you know, I, I was reading this part, right? The part that after Sean, the part that Sean uh, did not speak about, the yearning to familiarize what is known, um, yada, yada, yada. And then it says that, that caress of silence, is it not this that affirms, that instead affirms our existence? So is he saying that, um, you know, we, we try to be comfortable and look for answers to existence but is he saying instead the fact that we have the freedom to question existence is this instead that um kind of makes or it should make us comfortable i'm not i'm not quite maybe i'm not understanding correctly no josh i think you've got it spot on right people go will look at the stars in this case right and we we desperately want them to tell us something right to to shine for us and to say to valid to familiar familiarize what is known Right, and that's an interesting that's an interesting quote, right? Because is what he, what they're trying to differentiate is what is known is not often familiar, right? So as in our lives, right? We know our lives, we know ourselves, but are we familiar with ourselves, right? And we hope that something, right? These echoes are going to come back and they're going to tell us what we are. They're going to go back and validate that incomprehensible validation that we are human. So so and then some people, as Sean said, are off put by the caress of silence, right? But I guess what the author's trying to get at is is this not instead right this indifference it that affirms our existence instead the idea that we don't need something to come tell us what we are we have essentially ascended to that position of what a god would be right we tell ourselves what we are in in a sense and mm. I, I think you you've hit it spot on so um you know we, we touched on a lot of great points in that first quote how about that second quote do you guys need time to read that or did you slyly read that also when i gave you time to read the first no i didn't get that far yeah right. give me a minute i hardly Re finished the first one okay please I read the second no one. it's, it's shorter please please read through the second one and uh colerton says 
going back to the Twitch stream, Colerton comments, no problem. I enjoy your views. This is like attending a talk at ancient Athens philosophical school back in the past. It's a crazy compliment, Colerton. I'm not sure if um, we know each other in real life, but even if we do, even if we don't, you should give us a follow on the podcast, right? We're, we're going to be trying to talk weekly or bi-weekly, and, and this is what we're doing, right? We're, we're going to talk about the human condition all the time. And, you know, it's something that the Greeks did, you know, every day. And the Greeks are a people that existentialists very admire and that uh, all philosophers essentially very admire oh, so so if you if you enjoyed this podcast Colton, please give us a follow okay i think i understand this is I, I feel like it's contrasting the first quote right that second part of uh of what was black um where does it say so it says are these oh sorry no it says and then and is the suffering that they invariably lead us to not evil although to call this a curse so it's basically saying that Instead, this freedom seems to, or no, they're questioning whether or not it's evil, right? Exactly. Exactly. Right? Comprehension so, yeah. <laughs> so, so I would say yes, right? Because they present the point, are these not the tendrils of freedom that bind us to our choices, right? But at oh, the same time, right. he asked, or he or she asked, is the suffering that they, it out. yeah, is the suffering that they invariably lead us to not evil? So they don't know, right? But then afterwards, they turn back. They said, although to call this a curse would be the greatest negation. What, what and and Josh, I want to ask you, what do you think our, our most divine regicide means? Our divine regicide. Am I allowed to Google? Uh, please do quick, quickly Google. For what it's worth, I also had to Google what regicide is. Regicide. <laughs> it sounds like murder in a way. The action it, of killing it, a king. The murder a king. Yeah. Okay, I knew that word was familiar. I went to school. Um, our most divine regicide. Oh, I mean, it's like, it sounds to me like you're kind of, am I allowed to say the, all right, anyway. It, it sounds to me like you're you're getting rid of this. Um, well, well, let's let's break it down. So regicide, we said, was the act of killing a king, right? And if right. we put divine next beforehand, what do we, well, yeah, of course, what are we implying? Sure. What are we implying then? There is, you know, that this higher power is non, no longer we're, here, we're, right? We, we've killed it, right? We've effectively killed... Who is the most divine regent then? So if, if regicide is the murder of a regent who is a king or someone high in power, who is the most divine regent in all of history? Would be God or whoever's... Exactly, God, right? The so so the, the quote, for our most divine regicide has given back to us what was rightful and deserved. So at, at the end, it seems like they've went through a little bit of, they've been equivocal, right? They weren't sure if this freedom was evil or not, but at the end they said, okay, well, this divine regicide has given us back our humanity. So are these tendrils not as hellish as they seem? And that hellish is italicized because once again, hellish is a very um, subjective way. We, we don't know if hell exists or not, but, but please comment more on this quote. I'm loving this. It's um, yeah, I was really trying to avoid saying God and am I allowed to say kill? I'm going to say kill. You can but, definitely, um, you've said worse than that. So. <laughs> all right, all right, all right, all right. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, we, we basically explained it. I feel like it's very, um, it's very, a very interesting perspective to say that this, this whole existential crisis, right? This burden that we keep calling it is um, that these two speakers are saying that it's, it's freeing in a way, which I, I agree with. It is, it can be freeing, um, but it's, it's very interesting considering what we've talked about so far and how, you know, you, you specifically, Chris, have been saying it sounds like life is a burden and uh, it's it, this uh, living is suffering and whatnot because oh, of this I, exen- not saying existential that. crisis. Not saying that, but <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. Sean, any, any, any comments? Yeah. Any- I, I mean, first of all, I don't think it, I mean, obviously this, the writer is trying to incite uh, thought in the, 
in the reader. So, you know, what the writer is writing is not necessarily prescriptive. Um, but when the writer says like, you know, um, to call it a curse and all that, um, is the suffering that they invariably lead us to not evil. I don't think it would be fair to call this existence suffering. I mean, I guess it depends who you ask, but there's a lot of good things. There's a lot of bad things. Um, so in some ways, uh, the, these tendrils of freedom that sort of give us the reins and then whatever happens, happens, right? Um, in some ways, it's a curse. In some ways, it's a blessing. Um, but also, fundamentally, it is what it is. And I think that's sort of what the writer was hinting at um, when they said, you know, the the tendrils of freedom are as fickle as they are indifferent. You know, they they really don't care. The The universe doesn't care what happens to us. And I don't think, therefore, that is fair to call this you know, this existence either a curse or a blessing right and, th- and that's a great mm. point but and then i'm like assuming that. you know us three we we've gone through our own varying levels of suffering right but we haven't really reached the level of you know, a suffering that maybe other people in the world have right so so we 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 the question is we make this point now right that of course life is not fully suffering and i guess what the perspective we want to try to bring is we have to continuously the, the goal is to continually have this mindset despite what happens, right? So it's easier to say this when you're not suffering too much. And it's, it is harder still when, when you're suffering more, right? So hopefully people can, you know, take this mindset thro- throughout all the difficulties in their life. And, I, and it's difficult, right? Just, to say someone's, you know, family just died, right? All their family just died. It's hard to tell them, okay, the suffering was good for you in a way, right? I mean, that doesn't help them in the moment. So, so it, it, it's, it's, it's really, it's, it's up in the air at that point, right? Because having someone tell you there's no meaning behind it but at the same time this is good for you that that in itself could um arise a lot of you could create uh, engender a lot of crisis right and so i guess a lot of existentialists are saying that yes there may be points in our lives when the suffering is is great is extremely great and it would be naive to assume that it won't be because if we look back historically Throughout many periods of human existence, we have inflicted much suffering across ourselves, right? So, so to say that the upcoming times would be different than what humans have been doing forever, right? That would be a little naive. So, so they they pose the question as, okay, but can you have the same mindset when you're when you're really you know when you've hit rock bottom? So, I think that's an interesting question. And and so just to um, move on, so who do you think who do, who do you think wrote these quotes? Does this does this remind you of anybody? Was it you, Chris? <laughs> What's that? Was it you? Okay. Well, yes, it was me. Wow. Okay. Well, Sean hit it on the mark. You did hit you it. Write both you... of these? I did. I did. <laughs> um, Josh, did you? Were you thinking it was me it. as well? Um, uh, you know, I'm gonna be honest. I was trying to figure it out. I gotta say, I I'm poking fun at you. I'm, you know, there are very thoughtful quotes. But that is true. The the big the the size of the words was a dead giveaway. Wait, are you serious? Wait, what, like, you weren't going to say, I thought maybe you were going to say, like, Nietzsche or Camus, because I quoted well, them a lot in the I last... mean, I don't really know who else you expected me or Josh to guess, because... Yeah, I was like, I don't read, so how... Yeah, I know, but yeah. I I thought you guys might have been like, oh, yeah, like, taking a stab in the dark, Nietzsche or Camus, because you only mentioned no. those two guys last podcast. I thought no, I thought I was, like, red herring you guys. Wow. Um, yeah, so so obviously oh, we, we lost we Shots lost a couple for this. we lost yeah. a couple of viewers. So <laughs> they heard they heard I wrote this quote and they were like, I'm out of here. <laughs> no, but, I'm gonna have to cut all this. 
<laughs> you know, it's 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 natural. But so um, yeah. So the second quote, I, I want to talk about the background of of why I was writing this quote. So the second quote, obviously, this was um, influenced by some of the, the 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 writers that I read, right? And I wrote the second quote explicitly for this podcast, right? To try to to try to elicit some form of discussion. And I purposely used the word tendrils of freedom, right? Because um, another writer put it, we are condemned to be free, right? And and the idea of tendrils of freedom gives it a little more negative connotation, just like the words condemnation of being free. So so I really wanted to, <clears throat> excuse me, um, bring up that point. And I think you guys, you know, picked up on that really well. So I appreciate that. The first point actually is something that is is personal, right? I wrote this first point last night. I spent an hour just I, like I was taking a walk at night and then I just looked up, right? And, and we live in the suburbs, right? So there's a lot of uh, stars in the sky as opposed to you're in a city. And I, I had this embarrassing urge, right? As, as I wrote in this quote, to just shout, I am human. It, and it, and it, doesn't, it doesn't make any sense, right? We spent this whole podcast talking about how we don't believe in, in a higher power. But, you know, this transitions to our concluding point of this podcast, right? How often do people like us or people everywhere, humans everywhere, right? We may sometimes close our eyes, think something, Right, think to ourselves and hope that something may respond, or or hope that something in nature or in the environment reacts to that. For instance, like we're going through bad times, saying, "Oh, someone, please give me a sign!" Right, and then and then you know we see something, and then we're saying, "Oh, that's the sign!" Or you know, just naively we 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 close our eyes, we think a thought, and hope something you know speaks back, right, to confirm ourselves. And you know, that's the feeling. You know, I, I obviously pontificated about it, wrote wrote about it, used some big words, as you said. But that's the general feeling I got last night, just just you know, looking up, and it it was amazing to me. Those are one of the moments, right, where um, I guess I was engaging with my own doubts and and my own existential feelings, where whereas people don't do it frequently, right? But there's always that one point, right? And it it, it and it really depends for you what what elicits that what is the exigence behind it right but it's always going to happen and and then so last night was one of those for me and so i decided to write about it bring it on the podcast i didn't fool you guys you guys didn't call me like a great writer of the 1800s and 1900s so i'm a little disappointed by that but you guys did yeah. pick up on the points that i was putting down so so i'm happy yeah. about that i do also i mean just to you know like you said you were out looking at the stars and i do like sort of i don't want to give this all of the credit but a lot of or at least a, a significant portion of like you know the philo philosophical thinking I've done about how small I am as a human and how small humanity is compared to the universe and the universe's indifference to everything that whole mindset that I have I think a lot of it is credited to just going out into the middle of nowhere and looking up at the stars at night because I do really think it gives that perspective that it's hard to that's a hard a perspective that's hard to come across in our everyday lives with the hustle and bustle of of doing these real tangible things that we do yeah exactly the question is how so often can we delude ourselves anyone. yeah yeah exactly right and then I, I think everyone should do it as you said i I've, i'm still in awe that you picked up it, they, these were my quotes immediately i've read enough of your blog blog to know your uh, writing style that's true and we were in english class together i was a little skeptical because i knew sean was in my english class he's read my more immature works back when we were freshmen so i, I figured he might have picked up on some things but i thought i masked it well i didn't apparently yeah, <laughs> well but enough. josh any closing thoughts i would for, for this for that. this okay yeah so i guess you know and then the point i was getting at before right the idea that we would close our eyes right and sometimes think to ourselves and hope something says something back is that something 
you know, it's, it's something I know I've done before. Is that something that feels familiar to you or is, is that just me? I'm, I'm, I'm curious how people react to this differently. Has there never been a time where you might have, even being non-religious or atheist or whatever, prayed in some way or, or, or you know, deluded yourself in one way, hoping about something to call back, right? This whole idea. I mean, I, I can speak, but I, you know, I feel like this is pretty consistent in my character to say that I, you know, I, as I've said before, I really don't question or I, I don't have this existential crisis as, or, or yeah, as often as I should, or, or I don't think about it too much. Maybe I'm constantly distracted by life or what have you, but it's, um, I, I don't think I've really had this kind of revelation. You know, I've stared up into the sky. I'm like, okay, wow, beautiful. But then other than that, I've really had no thoughts or desire to to really investigate the, this, this whole meaning. Interesting. That's, that's very interesting. So we concluded that Josh does not have a heart. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm, I'm just kidding. But, but yeah. And Josh, after this podcast is over, I'm going to recommend you a book that I think you should read. It's like a hundred pages. You remind me of the you character. Know, I'm already reading. <laughs> You're reading crime and punishment, right? The guy I'm does reading it. I'm reading it. You are exactly. And this guy in the book uh, commits a murder. So hopefully you don't commit a murder, but some of the things you're saying, uh, you know, it doesn't seem too bad at this point. <laughs> <laughs> um, but kidding, Sean, way, what about you? Please. What about you, Sean? Um, yeah, what I'm trying to remember. I had a point in mind, but now it's gone. Um, oh, I apologize. Which is ultimately, it, it's very, you know, it's all, it's all very meaningless. And I, I do. Oh, I, mm. I kind of remember now. Um, I, I do catch myself the the point you made earlier. Um, saying like, oh, do you ever catch yourself like praying, uh, or something? Because you know, it, it's sort of human nature to to want to feel like things are in order and there's a meaning for things. Um, I wouldn't say I would catch myself praying, but rather I would, um, uh, I would say that I catch myself, you know, wishing for things to happen, even with the absolute knowledge that whatever I wish for in my head is not going to happen. Like if you hear about some, you know, some uh, natural disaster that's going on somewhere, you think, oh, I, you know, I, I really hope those people are okay. Um, I hope, you know, there's, there's not many deaths and things like that. Um, even with right, the, right. the knowledge it, that I, whatever I think won't have any impact on it. So exactly. And it almost, I almost wish that I was religious sometimes yeah. so that I could pray and therefore have sort of some course of action um, to sort of help these people. But, you know, unfortunately I, I, I do not believe in much religious stuff. Um, so uh, there's not much I can do in those cases. I'm glad you said that, right? And and it, it we almost do that sort of to remove the implication of guilt. We 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 say, or, or responsibility in a way. We might not consciously think about it, but in your example, you know, some natural disaster is coming, and we think in our heads, oh, I hope those people are okay, and then we're we're done with that, right? We say we've done the best we could, right? And we know that it will do nothing, and and that is. You know, that is something religious in us, even though we're not religious. We both don't, we all three of us don't believe in a God, but that is something that you just described and has happened to me. I know for sure that is something pious in us. So that begs the question, is this part of the human condition? Is this something that's been ingrained in the human condition? Because as you said, the Bible has been sort of the, the standing block of morals for so long. And is this something we all need to reevaluate? And uh, someone in the chat just said, uh, JGLCH said, I relate to what Sean is saying a lot. Look I don't that. know who that is, but I appreciate it. Right. And I think what you said is so profoundly human because Josh doesn't have a heart. So we have to listen to, <laughs> we have to, listen to I, what you I, said. I gave my condolences out. You know, I'm not, I'm not saying I don't do that. Exactly. That's yeah. all we can do, right? In those I'm situations. very different about things. Yeah. That's all we can do. Give condolence 
and then people like to throw this around like our thoughts and prayers are with you and a lot of people push back and say well that means nothing right and it's 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 almost a way that we relieve ourselves of guilt we relieve ourselves of responsibility in a way and and it 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 really it really goes to show what is what is human in us and i and i think it's a great point and you know i don't know if there's anything that you guys really want to talk about we've hit the hour and 45 minute mark if there's any questions you want to ask, um, I, that is Josh and Sean, you want to ask me or you want to ask each other, and then we'll open it up for more questions on Twitch. But is there anything you guys wanted to close with? If if not, that's, I'm perfectly happy to close. So yeah, um, go ahead. Yeah, I didn't yeah. have too much else. Other yeah. Than, so so no, before life we end, is meaningless. But go ahead. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Life is meaningless. No, yeah. So before we end, um, I just want to thank both of you, Josh and Sean, for being guest speakers. I know this is a new experience for you guys, and um, coming out of episode one, we had a famous YouTuber, so there was there was a lot of pressure on you two. I think this was a fantastic episode. I don't know about your feelings, but but I loved it. Um, anyways, and so this really concludes the the main Spotify version of our podcast, episode two, living with the human condition, and exploring existentialism. But before we go. I want to give you guys an opportunity to promote anything, your social media, any causes you want to talk about, um, starting with Josh, because he's next on the list. Josh, is there anything you want to talk about before we close? Um, you know, I really don't have much to say, to be completely <laughs> honest. That, uh, consistent with your character. What about, you know, any social media? Josh, you could, this, is, this is your platform. There's 13 people watching. You know, go ahead and follow me on Instagram. I don't post at all, but, you know. That's you pretty vain of you, Josh. I, you know, that's true. I'm going to take that back. Don't follow me. I'm just kidding. Sean, how about you? Yeah, I don't have social media. Um, just um, <laughs> everyone be nice to each other. That's about, yeah. that's my shout oh, out. Oh, yeah. I should have, nah, you know what? It's too late. Your time's up. Yeah. Back to you. <laughs> well, Josh, you're also um, a streamer on the side, right? So so Josh, our guest in the middle here, he streams um, on his own time. So if you're interested in, in, it's mostly video games, right? If you're interested in video games he plays, go give him a follow. What's your Twitch tag? Um, it's Slayer490 underscore. It's very okay. degenerate, so please try not to tune in. Okay, why don't you put a put a chat in the Twitch um, before we close, and then people will be able to um, see see your stream. But you know, this this really marks the end of our episode of the second iteration of our podcast, Human All Too Human.